Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. This episode is sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions and RegTech Pulse. RegTech Pulse examines the latest industry and technology trends that help organizations fight financial crime and streamline payments so money and goods can move safely and securely around the world. Industry experts across the world join the conversation to discuss their insights and share best practices. The RegTech Pulse is brought to you by Acuity, a LexisNexis risk solutions company, which helps power compliant and assured client transactions to build an interconnected and trusted financial ecosystem. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special 200th anniversary show. This episode is sponsored by Acuity, a LexisNexis risk solutions company. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I've enjoyed bringing the last 200 episodes to you, and I look forward to bringing to you 200 more. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to our special 200th anniversary episode. Today, I'm extremely thrilled to have with me Dan Skolnick. I get that right? Yes, you do. Who is the VP of Product Strategy for Financial Crimes at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. So, Dan, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for celebrating this special anniversary show on innovation and compliance. Congratulations, Tom. It's a topic near and dear to my heart. Well, Dan, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, I was one of the founders of Safe Banking Systems about 20 years ago. About three years ago, we were acquired by Relix Group, which owns, of course, Acuity and LexisNexis. In that time, we managed to build a business focused on sanctions and PEPs and other types of screening, and in general, helping banks to mitigate, I would call it counterparty risk, third-party risk from a regulatory perspective. Dan, how have you seen that part of compliance, meaning financial institution, third-party, and financial crime risk really evolve during your professional career in this area? Seen it in Evolve a great deal. I think when I first started, the top of mind was sanction screening for OFAC. At that time, that's really was the bread and butter of this industry. And I think within a year of my starting in this industry, we had the USA Patriot Act. And now we've got to identify politically exposed persons. So the, the shortest way to put it is it's gone from looking for a very specific group of people in a very specific stream of data, namely payments, to a much broader requirement of identifying potential sources of risk across your customer base. Dan, if you've been doing this since the passage of the Patriot Act, you've been doing it as long as probably most most anyone in, in this area. And one of the reasons I really enjoy visiting with financial crimes compliance experts, both in the services and products area, is you guys are so much further ahead than non-financial institutions. So U.S. public companies or other companies that are exposed to financial crimes really are not on the cutting edge the way you have been at Acuity and now LexisNexis Risk Solutions. So I was wondering if you could talk about the evolution of your own professional roles at these companies. Have you always been on the product side of things and 
on product strategy or if you've been a development or could you tell us a little bit about your professional development? So I'll start at, at the beginning of Safe Banking Systems, which was at a family holiday party and a relative of mine heard that my dot com was not doing so well and mentioned that he was thinking about partnering with this little French company that helped with countering terrorist financing. And this is probably two or three months after 9-11 at this point. And I didn't have specific plans in mind. And I was headed to Europe anyway. So he said, why don't you stop over in Paris? And that turned out to be Fercasoft, which became a, a fairly well-known name in this industry. And we, and we partnered with them at that time. And I think the focus then was really about stopping payments focused on terrorist financing. And within a year or two with the USA Patriot Act, we began to see that the government was in effect deputizing the financial services firms to help them with this first terrorist financing problem. But really, if you look at the type of things that that were emphasized in the various legislations and regulations, drug trafficking and other foreign policy priorities, because of the data, because of the the high touch nature of some of the financial services businesses and their and their views on global capital flows, we saw a huge emphasis on making these folks more helpful to the overall law enforcement and foreign policy priorities at that time, to the point where over the next several years you began to see people leaving government enforcement, law enforcement roles or policy roles and taking on real senior leadership roles in these banks so that the mindset really kind of evolved together, kind of converged on a real aggressive crime-fighting strategy, which was not an easy transition for a lot of banks and the banking culture in some of the places we operated. But I feel like within 10 years, let's say by 10 years ago, that, that transformation was complete, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a global bank that didn't have somebody with that kind of experience in their leadership. Dan, in uh, doing some research for this podcast, I came across a phrase I had not previously been aware of, and that's failed payments. And I was wondering if you could tell us what a failed payment means in your industry, and then what's the global cost of failed payments? Well, one of the consequences of the emphasis on detection and prevention of terrorist financing because it's real time. A lot of the regulations out there, you can satisfy the requirements by looking backwards at historical data. But when it comes to sanctions compliance in particular, you've got to stop payment. You've got to prevent these transactions from going through altogether. So you're dealing with real time, with very little information, and not enough to conclusively determine whether the person in a given payment, originating it, benefiting from it, is actually on this list. So you, you need a human to intervene in most cases where you have a potential match. And because of the nature of the international payment networks like SWIFT uh, and the domestic payment networks, you have a time limit on these things. You can't launch a deep investigation. And you combine that time limit with the strict liability nature of the punishments for violating the sanctions requirements. And in many cases, banks especially in the earlier days, would are on the side of stopping a payment if they couldn't prove that it was an innocent person versus taking the 
more conventional jurisprudential notion of innocent until proven guilty. Net result is that you accrue fines from the payment networks. You can irritate your clients as well as your correspondent banks who are in that chain of payment. And as payment flows going through these filtering systems have increased, initially it was only cross-border payments, but increasingly you see also domestic payment flows being screened for these sanctioned entities. You're stopping an increasing rate of these payments, and that's adding up to significant costs for the banks, both in terms of fines as well as reduced customer service. I've seen a real priority on efficiency in the last several years. So I was wondering if you might be able to talk about some of the two or three top solutions that Acuity and LexisNexis Risk Solutions have in this space. So focused on on this area, uh, our big brands are Furcosoft, who I would say is, if not the industry leader, one of the industry leaders in providing the technology to screen payments for sanctions across many different languages. And truly, it's a global provider for the global banks, for the enterprise class, and targeting different types of institutions, maybe not always banks, but also looking at corporates and non-bank financials who increasingly have to establish similar programs to the banks. We have solutions by the name of Bridger, Compliance Link, those are two. And then in general, moving slightly outside of the regulatory compliance space, but in terms of facilitating payments, we have brands like Bankers Almanac, which provides routing information for payments, very complementary to our regulatory compliance business, as well as Apply Financial. And that's really just scratching the surface of the data and software assets that we now have at our disposal as part of this, this larger company, which in fact left me very excited a few years ago when we were looking for investment and considering a potential exit. When Relix came into the table with all of these opportunities, it was incredibly exciting, and it's playing out that way. I'd now like to turn to one specific solution or set of solutions, decision memory and decision reapplication. First of all, could you tell us what decision memory and decision reapplication is? And then I'd like to turn to some of the specific benefits that they bring. So could you start off by telling us what decision memory and decision reapplication is? Sure, Tom. So so this is a good segue from the efficiency concerns that banks have today. For the early part of my time in this industry, there was very little care taken to false positive rates, to overall throughput, payment throughput in a given time frame, because the main concern was building a program to comply, was in effect detecting these things. Over time, as the lists of bad guys have grown, as the jurisdictions which prepare such lists have grown in number, and as the payment flows going through these systems have increased, there's an increasing need for these banks to drive efficiencies, in part to avoid fines and payments, but in part so that they can have their folks their investigators focus their efforts where they can best mitigate risk for their institutions. And that is not by looking at things they've already seen. Now, in some worlds, account screening or know your customer 
this is not all that difficult a mechanism to achieve because the data are pretty static. You have lots of information about people. So answering the question of, is this guy in the payment the same as this person on the watch list is a relatively straightforward thing in the payments world where many times none of the parties are actually your customers. If you're a correspondent bank or only one of them are your customers, you don't have all that much information and you don't have enough information to to quickly determine that. So what decision memory is, is a way for the system to recognize that you've seen this payment before, or you've seen this potential match before, and you've adjudicated it a certain way. So let us suggest for you what the correct adjudication is, or let us go ahead and clear it for you. Broadly speaking, that would be what decision memory and decision reapplication would be in the payment space. It needs to be a bit more sophisticated because, you know, every payment is a, is a new piece of information. It doesn't necessarily track to historical things. So you have to develop pretty interesting techniques for, or heuristics for recognizing that you've seen this before and that it's okay to release it. Decision reapplication represents Ferkosoft's implementation of this methodology for specifically sanction screening and payments. And it's an implementation of a technique called robotic process automation. So I wouldn't call it an artificial intelligence, but basically it watches what you've done in the past, it learns from it, and then depending on how you configure it, it'll take what you've done in the past and apply it to a similar scenario in the present and in effect release payments for you. It has to be tuned very carefully and it's a little bit involved in the configuration, but in many cases it it can reduce efforts by 70% because people often transact with similar patterns over time and a system that can detect that can drive huge efficiencies. So Dan, risk remediation in the context of the decision memory tool, how does that add value for your clients and customers? Well, I think the key thing in terms of deploying a a decision memory or reapplication system is to make sure it is only going to release payments you are completely confident deserve to be released. So risk is mitigated in this case by allowing the banks to apply their own policies on decision reapplication, which oftentimes are set by legal, not necessarily by the compliance officers themselves or by the operations folks. The policy would be reflected, for example, in how many points of similarity would be required to be observed across the payments. How many times do humans have to have taken a similar decision previously before the system will take it for them? I would say that those are the the big, big important risk remediation aspects of decision reapplication. We have mentioned the Patriot Act in this podcast a couple of times. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the anti-money laundering law of 2020, which was passed on January 1 of 2021 by Congress this year, which is literally, or not literally, but perhaps the, the largest update to the Patriot Act since the Patriot Act was initially implemented. And if I could also overlay, we've certainly had a change in administrations since that time. 
And it strikes me that the decision memory and reapplication solution are even more important now under both the AML law of 2020, or I guess what I should call it the National Defense Authorization Act, because it was in the context of a larger bill. But also, uh, this new administration has made clear that they're going to continue to fight on financial crimes and combat terrorist financing. So it strikes me that these tools are perhaps even more important as we enter now Q3 of, of 2021. Would that be a fair assessment in your opinion, Dan? It is a fair assessment. And I think your point about the different administrations is a valid one because there's not a lot of bipartisanship on display in our affairs these days. But one area in which there's been consistent bipartisanship has been in these laws, in these regulations related to anti-money laundering. Even the most anti-regulation candidate usually carves out space to say, but we're not talking about AML here. So I think that the industry expects more scrutiny, more work, more payments to be screened, more insights to be developed about clients, more reports to be made to the Financial Crime Enforcement Network, whoever's in charge. We've been talking about largely financial institutions, but as I said, I see a lot of application moving into much broader market of companies, public companies or non-financial institutional companies that process a large number of payments and, and may have the same issues that financial institutions have at scale. And so I wanted to maybe ask, is it possible that the solutions you and your colleagues have developed and are developing could at one point have a broader application for any U.S. public company in tech, healthcare, pharma, energy, you name the sector? Yeah, that's been one of the most exciting opportunities since being acquired by the Relics Group and joining Acuity and LexisNexis Risk is as a small company, we had to focus laser-like on our core market, which was top-tier financial institutions in the U.S. and Canada. We had the odd European client, but it was almost always a bank, maybe an insurance company. But since joining Acuity and now LexisNexis Risk, our big push has been to look at corporates. NBFIs is a very popular acronym. Non-bank financials is a huge and growing space in terms of fintechs, in terms of payment providers, payment processors. If you look at our sales pipeline, if you look at our sales execution over the last couple of years, and if you look at our product roadmaps, a lot of that is now coming from industries outside our historical core banking sector. Well, Dan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on LexisNexis Resolutions, Decision Memory, and Decision Reapplication, or maybe to follow up with any of the issues or points you've raised today, how could they do so? Well, you could certainly go to our website, both the acuity.com and risk.lexisnexis.com are highly informative about our products, about our markets, about some case studies from clients across these different sectors we've mentioned. Well, Dan, based upon what you've told us today, the innovations that you and your team have come up with, and, and frankly, it sounds like you'll continue to come up with, I hope there's an opportunity for us to continue this conversation. I would enjoy that, Tom. Thanks. Thank you for sharing this significant episode with me, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast? 
Do you have an idea which you think would be helpful to the compliance community? Do you have a great story to tell? If any of these are true, why don't you start a podcast and put it on the Compliance Podcast Network? I've partnered with One Stone Creative to create a end-to-end solution for you to tell your story on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And more importantly, I hope you will tell your story with your podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review. 